There's not floating around that reminds you of like this temporal shift between like there's summer and then there's even though there's really no seasons there. Uh, I don't know what it is. I also think it had to do a lot with like feeling like left out or something as a kid. I think it's that- funny you say that because this is actually you're probably the perfect person for this will resonate with. I have a problem with summer also because I grew up overseas as an expat. And summer, my it was an inverted temporality thing. Summer was when you historically went back to where you were from. It wasn't when you were on vacation. Do you see what I mean? So it was like right. this reversal of the the American cultural norm or whatever. That and I'm also can't go in the sun. I mean, have you seen me? So like it just never it never worked for me. Summer, you know, I'm like on the run from summer. Still, yeah. I think so. And in some ways, I'm not like so into it as a thing. And in New York, I think it's a weird thing. Like, I don't agree with this. Go out of town on the weekends. Like, I don't I still don't understand because I'm not from New York City, but I still don't understand people who drive two hours each way and back on the weekends to do stuff. Really? It doesn't make sense. Like, why would you waste four hours of your life in the car? But why would you waste four hours of your life doing anything? I mean, okay, that's a fair point. But I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like this back and forth. I don't know. This is a very New York thing, I think, to have to do that kind of a trip every weekend. Or I mean, I guess it happens elsewhere. But I think that's pretty common in a place like Los Angeles. It would take you uh, on a weekend during summer, like depending on how far east you live, which is where most people live now. It will take you like an hour and a half just to get to the beach you know? Yeah. And so it, it, it does feel like a bit of a trek. Uh, 
Yeah, no, like summer is a really strange thing. I'm like trying to, I don't know, get away from the particulars of summer and like the sort of expectations of what summer is. And I think you're right. I think it's the expectation culturally that's like the most detrimental to like, because like a lot of great things could happen, right? But when, as with anything, if you have this crazy expectation, Yeah, I, I think the expectations of summer, you know, I feel like it's just, it's also when you try to impose like some like linearity onto summer, like summer is supposed to be like an atemporal moment, you're supposed to be on vacation, you're supposed to be this, but to like impose these sort of cultural expectations on it that we do, whether it's like, you know, I'm going to get in shape for summer or like, I'm going to do this or that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that, you know, when people have tried to like capture summer as an essence and commodify it and turn it into this whole like thing, I think like for me, it's like trying to escape that. It's like, how can I sort of like resurrect it? Like, literal and figurative oases, like even if it's just in my mind. You know, yeah. I'm so I'm so obsessed with that. You know, like I love Bo Travai, that movie. I love that movie too. Can you do the dance at the end? Oh, I, I want to. I think that's like the best ending of any movie of totally. all time. You have to learn that dance and then perform it on the podcast. I'm not sure how that works, but we can figure it out. Yeah, I know uh, that's what I was thinking, but I was still thinking the <laughs> way we could figure it out. <laughs> I was also thinking about Junkopia by Chris Marker. His like short, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I love his stuff because it's so like anti-subject, you know, and and, and it reads like very well. I I know you speak French. Like I can only speak English. I don't, and I I don't even speak English. I can't speak English or French. So we're just going to have to, we're going to do the best we can right over here. Well, we're trying to invent, new forms of of language and exactly i don't know it's it just seems like language is so lost like one of the things i like about your writing is it does read you know like there are neologisms and i i feel like that's been i feel like that's like a criticism of a lot of like writers that i like and a criticism that people have like put on me but i'm also just like you have to just accept it that this is the way it is and like you know, there's this whole thing where I feel like people are still stuck in this like idea that you have to do things a certain way in order to be like taken seriously. But like, what does it even mean to be taken seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I never really understood any of those certain ways you were supposed to do things. So I kind of <laughs> gave up on that. But yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. And I feel like your summer thing works too, right? Because if you really want to talk about what also makes summer summer in America, it's this idea of the academy, right? This idea of the school year, this idea of like, that's when you're on break, right? So maybe that's also why you're you're rebelling against the summer, the summer months in a way, because it's the way you're supposed to do things, right? But what if we just switch it around? Right. That could be, right? Like, you know, it's just like, you know, you're supposed to I don't know. You're supposed to not be in school in summer, but what if you do it the opposite way? I feel like that's just island time, you know? And it's, uh, I I feel like one of my fantasies is like, you know, to join like the French Foreign Legion 
and you know, get stranded somewhere in like Africa and have these like waves, you know, and, and there's like this whole plot. I know it's a allusion to Billy Budd by Melville. I've been thinking about Junkopia too, like uh, just our relationship to junk and to just objects in general. And, I, you know, I really, really loved what you wrote for Spike, by the way. Really? Thank you. I actually like like a lot of your writing quite a bit. This wow. is why I was, it was it's it's exciting. Um, that's, so, that's so nice. I, I get I'm I'm very surprised when people say that. Why? I don't know. I doesn't it it doesn't. I don't know. It's not something I. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I am. I always am. But um, especially someone um who like whose ideas I'm interested in and admire. Because I'm always like, oh, they're going to know that I, I'm, you know, a complete fraud. I don't have ideas like they have. And so, like, it's nice to hear you say that. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I'm really into, like, honestly pedestrianizing yourself. You know, mm -hmm. like, I, I, and this is one of the interesting things about what you wrote for Spike is this idea. And it's from this meme. And it's like a back tattoo. I've been seeing a lot of, like back tattoo motifs online and you know there's this whole sort of like I don't know like trashy aesthetic that people are trying to drum up whether it's like EDM music or just like you know images of like Harmony Corinne movies I know Spring Breakers that's what I want to talk to you about after I have some questions planned for you so you better watch oh, out but no. anyway <laughs> but I like this idea I am not responsible for the fantasy that other people project on me. And in your last book, I Fear My Pain Interests You, that seems to be like a, a topic that is explored as well. So I am wondering, like, to what extent are we responsible for the fantasies that other people project onto us? I feel like this isn't true for everybody because this isn't true for me, but I do feel like there are certain kinds of people who cannot distinguish like positive and negative attention at all. They have no That's ability so to decipher that. That's an, I mean, there's a couple of things. I, I mean, I would break that down into a couple of different questions. I guess the first to respond to that of things that immediately come to mind. I mean, the first thing is that the whole funny part, right. About having a model, all of my work is like this. It's like, talking about something, but it's also talking about not the thing, right? So like the whole idea of having a model say I'm not responsible for what you project on me is fucking hilarious, right? Because of course you are, you're a model. Like like the, the, the very virtue of like even putting that up is like almost nonsensical, right? Like you're and much in the same way, even if you're having a conversation about something, you're partaking in it, right? Like, so I think what's so funny about that is it's not about for me, the first thing that stands out is it's not about even like this, like, you know, separation or like this idea of the female cut into the Brea thing or whatever. It's simply the fact that a model is now saying we are in the point where models are saying they're not responsible for your projection. <laughs> like, how far have we gone? Do you know what I mean? Where like, like, to me, that's almost I'm not I'm not even sure that that's like that even comes through as much as I feel it. But like, to me, that's like one of those moments where you're just like, well, how far are we going to go? Do you know what I mean? Like models posting, other models posting things saying they're not responsible for people's projections. They're models and they're posting them, right? Right. So <laughs> just, I mean, as a place to start, that's part of what the essay is about as well. Right. 
And, uh, you know, you you make allusions to Nymphs by Giorgio Agamben. I, I've had a hard time getting a hold of that book, but I have read. Oh, my God, it's great. I can send you one if you want. I think I have the PDF. I wish you had asked me. Oh, uh, yeah. I So I've, I've just sort of read like fragments of it because they're like drifting through like JSTOR and whatnot. And then there's like Abby Warburg, just in terms of like a theorist of art, because he talked a lot about projection in the image and the sort of limits of, of projection. And I feel like there's so many things that people are like, I don't know what to call it. It's like a coping mechanism or I just people like have no problem just like indulging in like just brash hypocrisy or something like that. But there seems to be like this real disconnect between like images and hardware and like the fact that there are limits in this world that we have to acknowledge and, you know, deal with, uh, which is funny because your book, you know, the main character can't feel pain isn't able to even like experience the threshold of pain or the limits that the other people surrounding Margaret are. So I think about that a lot as well. Like, what is it to be in a spectacular position, you know, and to be the sort of like exception to the thing that we're supposedly all supposed to feel and how much of it is like a, a fractal fantasy that people just project onto you, knowing that you have some, there is something special about you, but even though there really isn't anything special about any of us, because like, aside from our experience, we still, we still experience thresholds in other ways. I mean, I think there's two things. I also like the language that you're using. I mean, one, the use of the word threshold is super interesting to me because you're talking about a threshold of pain, which obviously isn't an actual uh, threshold. But we're also talking about thresholds in the sense of, you know, networks and intermedia and, you know, screens and all of these things. Right. And so maybe the the idea of a threshold has also changed from when, you know, you were creating an urn or what have you. Do, does that like resonate at all? Yeah. What I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and, um, and I also, just before I forget, I like, I should be keeping notes because you keep saying these long things and I want to remember the, part, the parts of them to all be able to answer all the parts. Um, you said something, hardware. And what was the other word? Because I liked your use of hardware, of how you just um, metabolize that. How did you... It's, a, it's something I've been thinking a lot about just in terms of like, uh, you know, and I forgot the word you used to describe it too, but just like networks and media and how there are still, you know, hardware is just basically a word for like the things that are, I don't want to say tangible, but things you can actually like physically experience and how they sort of been set to the backdrop of this, like, of the kind of like novelty of what's taking place at any given moment. I mean, it's basically like, it's like a perfect, uh, like Baudrillardian example would be this whole fake coup going on in Russia with like the PMC Wagner. It's like totally like the Gulf War did not take place. Like people, I, I feel like a, a meme people were sharing is like, oh, history is so back, but it turns out. History is so back. Oh my God. You know, and, and, it's uh will anything ever happen ever again at a at a certain scale, you know? 
And yeah, and how how is it this idea of like something being scalable too also applies both to the you know neurology and the sense of pain, but also into anything now, you know, with the ways that the connection has changed, right? Like, I mean, I think even the idea of connection is scalable a little bit. Like we develop full on whatever um, you know relationships or whatever with people who not and they're not like actually touching them you know so to speak or whatever um and I think that that's this whole idea of like the scaling of connection or the scaling of intensities and is like super interesting in the context of you know all these like rapid fire exchanges and even even um language I think is interesting right because just now you and you and I uh you know, we just, it would have been different if we had a transcript in front of us, right? Or we had some kind of like closed captioning system or a record of what we said. And, you know, that is available in some ways in other forms, but even in terms of like the conversation, right? Like it's all metering out in different ways now. Right. And I kind of like that. You know, I think that's where the sort of really interesting stuff takes place. It's not necessarily in these like overly didactic you know, exchanges of information because, you know, like dialectics doesn't really stack up anymore because as you said, like, it's really a question of scale and like, what is it even, what, like, what is even a discourse when like language is so contextual in and of itself, you know, it's like what's new to somebody may not be new to any, to somebody else. And I think that these like definitions. Isn't that a funny colloquial expression too in our day and age? Like it's the most ridiculous thing to say to someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm, what we're trying to prove, you know? And it's a, and it's, it's kind of like maddening a bit to see people like fall down these like rabbit holes. And, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of where art comes in. And, you know, you met, you mentioned uh, Nan Golden. I got in a lot of trouble for, like, making, like, a lot of art about Nan Golden when I was an art major in art school. And I actually, like, found the paintings that I did at my parents' house. And I was like, oh, man, these are really funny. But I was, like, trivializing her ability to sort of, like, capitalize on trauma. You know, as, like, as a sort of, like, author you know, somebody who's like an artist who's kind of like authoring their own pain for, I don't know, like capital or this or that. And, you know, it's such a fine line too, because on one hand, it's like trauma is something you express because you want others to, you want it to resonate with other people so that they don't feel alone. Like, I, I'm not like of this opinion that like empathy is some lost thing. Like you can be empathetic just because you want to, there doesn't have to be some like greater, like reason behind it. I mean, I think that's an important thing I think about all the time in terms of character building and like, you know, backstories of people. And, you know, there was that whole discussion online a a while back about not using the term trauma in relation to fiction characters because I do think like, you know, it is not necessarily like a lot of these very human things don't have to have a cause. I mean, we're not writing like, you know, that brings to mind, for example, to me, like the idea of like the Hollywood screenplay, right? Like you have to account for the backstory of everything. And, you know, in reality, it's not like that. Like there are certain things that are, um, that are innate to being a human or that, you know, come up or, you know, can't be explained. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to, this goes back, I think, a little bit to the nymph thing. I'm interested, too, in, like, how magic 
in the, and I mean, you can take this whatever direction you want, exist in this kind of a context and in the worlds we're talking about. Look at your face. Yeah. <laughs> you're huh. like, no, 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 oh, no, no. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. I don't, I'm not like, looking at my face. So I'm like having a hard time. Like even maybe I should just turn the camera off. So I don't like. No, no, no. Leave it. Leave it. I'm sorry. That's like also, but that's a That also speaks to sort of like how I interact. And this idea of interaction for me is like, I often read people's faces, do you know? And sometimes to my own detriment, because it's not wholly accurate. And we lose a lot of that now when we're not seeing people's faces when we're communicating. Right. Right. You bring up a lot of really interesting points and it's like, I sort of think about in terms of like narrative structure, like Robert Musil's The Confessions of Young Torless, uh, you know, like it basically shows like there's a mysterious quality of being in existence that's being attacked by inanimate things, objects. So like, there's like a there's like a long silence of like a, the the hundred eyes of like these objects and this non-description and, and being perceived by things that are you know beyond the subject and that's something I think a lot about is a you know what is the perception of a thing even if we don't grant it it doesn't have a perception like we have I'm, I I believe in like the monadology. Like that's like kind of my, how I see everything. And it might be like total like nonsense to most people. There's still like, you know, it's, you know, the other as gaze, the other as a voice, you know, even if that other is not in direct communication with you. And I think about like the otherness of these networks and how, you know, when we're sort of addressing each other without looking at each other's faces, like, what does that take away? Is there a mystery? Part of me is like, no, because it's just, you know, and this is kind of where I disagree with Agamben a little bit is like, you know, you can't just profane everything, you know, like there has to be, and you've spoken a little bit about like how Eros and, you know, needs its distance, you know, you, you need to have some sort of distance from something in order to like, I don't know, experience that longing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that is for certain uh, true. And I mean, that leads back to a lot of um, a lot of I mean, have you read Anne Carson on Eros? I haven't actually. Well, just I mean, it's it's pretty predictable reference, but you might it's good in that con in that context. You might find it interesting. And she has a lot of good things to say. And I like the way that she says them, um, which is interesting, too, because right here we are talking about two ways in which we have modern voices dealing with classical voices. Right. In the case of Anne Carson, it's Greek in the case, you know, or, or we're talking about these like historical nymphs. Right. And I think it's interesting. I mean, to me, that's really interesting to sort of pull back and also see how I mean, that's another thing about this idea of like. Um, not to throw one more thing in the mix, but, you know, this idea of uh, taxonomies and like, you know, mythologies and gods and things and how that's playing out online in terms of, you know, like a pivot from the nymph, but also into this idea of like, like the kind of images we see all the time, right? Right. And I think I feel that like that's it's dying. You think it's dying? Yeah. I, what do that, you think is replacing it? I think we're sort of in this any intermediary stage where people are trying to figure out what to place it with. But this book to me is like the feel good book of the summer. I don't know if you see it. Non-things. Non I love things. it. That 
You know, you're, you know, I had a conversation actually with, you know, this has been a, a theme of conversations I've had with people who work in and around, you know, art making and technology, this idea of like animism uh, and what form it takes now. I don't know if you're, if you're like the, and again, I guess maybe that's because that's my brain always goes to like the older sort of references, like animism as in an old religion. Right. But it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, it, <laughs> It's hard to say because I feel like on one hand, people are saying like this, uh, there's been a lot of uh, parallels drawn between this moment and like the Baroque period where we sort of started anthropomorphizing everything. You know, the nymph is a kind of like outgrowth of this period to anthropomorphize. I mean, she's literally also just for like people who don't aren't familiar. I mean, in many cases, literally, it was like a nymph came out of a tree, a tree sprouted legs, right? Like there's a literal anthro, you know, which actually makes the, the, you know, what you're saying totally full circle. You know, like the sense that a nymph, you know, if you look at like one of the old depictions or, you know, they were there were there were wood nymphs and they were in trees or the tree and the nymph were one. I mean, that's a non thing, right? Right. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the wood nymph is from ancient Greek mythology. Right. They've existed way before even this whole idea that, of like, you know, the veneration of the image in Catholicism with, like, the split there. And I just, you know, but I am thinking, like, is that moment over? Like, where are we just, should we just be on, like, 